Welcome back to season four of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development, featuring leading voices from practitioners working to catalyze positive economic impact in their communities through entrepreneurship. This special episode was recorded as a part of a recent virtual discussion series featuring Tarsha Hearns, Senior Director at the DEC Network, and David Ponraj, CEO of Economic Impact Catalyst. Please enjoy this episode. Well, welcome everybody. My name is uh, Joe Cap. I am one of the chairs of uh, National Entrepreneurship Week, uh, along with uh, Amber Ravenscroft. Uh, and I wanna welcome everybody here uh, for joining us today uh, for this exciting topic. Um, it's been, uh, National Entrepreneurship Week was uh, restarted uh, by Amber and myself in 2016 to, honor, to pay homage uh, to all of the entrepreneurs who've come before us, uh, as well as put together programming and events uh, during this entire week uh, for entrepreneurs all around the country. And so it's, uh, this is one of those events, along with a, a number of other events that Amber will go ahead and talk about a little bit later um, towards the end of the uh, programming today. Um, so I want to thank you all for taking the time today to join us, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, David Ponraj. Uh, David is an amazing entrepreneur. Um, he's done a lot of incredible things. I got a I got his bio here, but I happen to know him personally as a really good friend of mine. Um, he is the CEO of Economic Impact Catalyst, uh, but he got his start his career started uh, working on data and understanding data, and he combined that with his love for entrepreneurship uh, and launched EIC. Uh, in order to be able to go ahead and create a platform to help entrepreneurs all across the country. Um, it's been a pleasure and an honor to be able to work with David over the course of the years, and I'm super excited to uh, be welcoming you here today, David. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Looking forward to an exciting conversation today. So I'm not sure um, who is up uh, next. Um, is that uh, Tarsha? Yes. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Joe. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. So yeah. please take a moment to just uh, share a little bit more about your own background. Sure. Um, my name is Tarsha Hearns. I am the Senior Director of Ecosystems here um, at the, Dal uh, the DEC Network, and DEC stands for Dallas Entrepreneur Center. Um, and I'm very excited to share the work that David and I and his team uh, worked on for about almost a year just to um, close the access to capital gap um, in an underserved community here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Yeah, and and Joe, uh, if you're okay, I'll jump in. And yeah, please do, please do. Yeah, and and so uh, I'll just start with like a brief introduction uh, of the of the program and why we thought it was very timely to talk about it today. But then also would love for Tarsha to kind of uh, walk us through what the process for uh, bringing an entrepreneur of color fund or access to capital for diverse entrepreneurs. What does that take? Uh, it all started about two years ago when um, Tarsha reached out uh, about a program that was being funded by uh, JP Morgan Chase to help understand the capital access gap uh, in, uh, in Dallas County, in uh, Southern Dallas, and to understand how entrepreneurs are going and where are they finding capital. So we actually did a study uh, working with Tarsha's team, with the business support organizations, uh, and with the capital network. So the the local uh, CDFIs, for those of you who don't know what a CDFI is, it's basically a nonprofit lender 
that uh, is funded through uh, both um, local and through um, the federal government to be able to provide capital to underrepresented communities. Uh, and we worked with uh, several banks, Bank of America, Charles Schwab, BNC, et cetera, uh, to understand the gaps in, um, in capital for specifically black and brown founders. Uh, where did they go to get the capital? And we had some really interesting findings that, that we'll go through as part of this, but I also wanted to make it conversational uh, to make sure that we are bringing in the people that are on the call today. So I'll have my team kind of moderate some of the questions in the chat um, that we can bring. Uh, but I wanted to first kind of pause and uh, turn it over to Tarsha. Tarsha, if you wanted to kind of just talk through um, the idea behind why this was brought up as an initiative, why it was funded and why this work um, is important now. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's new that there's communities across the country that are not getting capital um, in terms of starting businesses and growing their businesses. Uh, here in the Dallas area back in 2019, before the pandemic, um, an initial study was done. Um, it was called the Next Street Study. And that study, um, while it was a great study, it really only focused on one particular neighborhood, which we call South Dallas, that has two zip codes. And South Dallas is one of the um, lowest income communities within the whole um, Dallas area. And it really brought up some interesting um, information in terms of the amount of capital was getting into the Southern sector of Dallas. Um, it also brought to light that uh, there wasn't a ecosystem that a big metropolitan city like Dallas did not have a coordinated ecosystem. Um, that would work together to not just an ecosystem for the Southern sector or underrepresented communities, but just in general. Um, and so through that study, it came back with several re recommendations. And uh, the obvious one was we need to form an ecosystem and we need to, and the second recommendation that our, our our newly formed ecosystem back then started was to come up with a program, a, a program to get grants um, into those communities. And shortly after the pandemic came, and of course those same communities struggled to get capital. Um, so that initiative kind of pivoted uh, because of the pandemic. And so Four or five years later, here I come uh, to the deck. Um, had always been a part of the ecosystem, so I was very familiar with that 2019 study. But as I looked at what we were trying to do is um, systems change, right? Um, the programs that, that were implemented under that uh, previous study needed to grow in and expand and focus on more zip codes um, in the Southern sector of Dallas and reach more businesses. So um, my first day on the job actually here at the deck, um, my boss gave me this um, uh, project. He said, this is your big project. And I'm like, okay, what is it? 
Um, and then I, I, my predecessor had already reached out to David about, um, you know, coming on board. I needed time. And I'll be honest, Davis, David, I asked a lot of people, well, tell me about EIC. Who is David Ponraj? Nothing but great feedback. I mean, they were like, you got to work with him. He's, you know, the best in the business. So yeah, you won't go wrong by choosing. And they were absolutely right. So I'm very grateful and thankful for this partnership. So to kind of continue to answer that question is we were looking at how do we take what we were doing pre-pandemic and through the pandemic to the next level? How do we move past these small grants that we were given. We were given like $2,000 grants, which is fine, but that's really not gonna do a lot to scale or sustain a small business. So we knew that we needed to come up with some solutions around how do we get capital into an area that we call a financial desert. Not only is that area a financial desert, it's a food desert. I mean, there's not even a grocery store nearby. So we embarked on this study with EIC. Um, we did focus groups. We wanted to hear from the ecosystem. So we did focus groups on entrepreneurs with entrepreneur support organizations. We um, surveyed 453 entrepreneurs in that target region. We also did focus groups with our um, community development financial institutions, which are CDFIs. And David helped us come up with a few recommendations on, um, you know, just to move the needle a little bit to close that gap. Yeah, and we're going to jump into kind of, you know, what we found. So I'll kind of tee it up, Tarsha, with some of our findings and, you know, would love for you to add color to it. Uh, initially, when we got in there, you know, the typical uh, thought that everybody has is if you run a survey asking people, especially small business owners, what do you want? They're all going to say, of course, we want capital. The first big finding we found was that they did not want capital. I mean, they did not want our capital. They wanted capital, but they had been so disenfranchised by the constant rejection that they were going to online lenders and they were going to other predatory sources because business owners are very enterprising. They're going to find a way to get to do their work. The sad part of it was they had excluded themselves from the capital access network in Dallas County because every time they went, they were rejected. And so we asked them, so why are you not looking for capital? They said, because when we showed up, we were immediately told that we didn't qualify or we were not even told why we won't qualify. We were simply said no. Uh, and in a lot of cases, people didn't know how to apply. And so the trust in the network was broken that if you said you had capital, it was not good enough to bring people back uh, to the table. And uh, Tarsha, I'd love for you to kind of just kind of drill down that, you know, we did a lot of even in-person interviews with BSOs that validated uh, those findings, right, uh, around the fact that I think there was somebody talking about a business owner that constantly kept getting rejected, but yet they were five, six, 10 years into their business and kept growing. And yeah. those kinds of narratives really broke the trust. 
It, it did. And, you know, if you have ever worked with communities of color, you know, trust is a big thing, right? You have to be a trusted source, a, a, a trusted guided source um, for them to really believe. And it's odd that the survey responses came back is that they would trust an online lender, a person that they, they're not even dealing with the live person in most cases, it's just technology. So it says a lot that they're willing to go online, not even have human interaction, get higher, much higher interest rates because of the fear of being declined. Um, in our study, I believe it was about 51%, um, let me make sure I have the right number here, uh, about 51% of those that um, you know, uh, said they wanted to get a loan, but didn't uh, even apply because they thought they was going to be declined. So that was like one of the big things that we said, well, we can't launch an access to capital program for this community if they don't trust us um, because they're, they're, we're creatures of habit. So all they're going to do is like, yeah, 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 here you go again, another lending product. I don't trust you. I'm going to go online. So we didn't want to fall into that same cycle. So one of the things we had to do is address that. So we had to drill down a little bit deeper. And what we found was who, who are the entrepreneurs going to first? They're not going to their bank first because they're very intimidated by financial institutions. Most of them weren't even aware of CDFIs. And so who are they going to? They're going to their church. They're going to other business support organizations. They're going to their chambers. And so through our research and conversations with these groups, you know, because these are people that's in the, these are organizations that's part of the ecosystem. So these org these small businesses, the disenfranchised small businesses are going to sources that they feel like they trusted, chambers, churches, business support organizations and saying, hey, I need money. Um, who can you send me to, to? Or how can you help me? And what we found was those BSOs were not even educated enough on capital access. So first you go to somebody that you trust but they're misinformed and not knowledgeable about it, then that entrepreneur is gonna be like so discouraged that they just go straight online. <clears throat> so there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of layers to this, and we're not trying to solve every problem, right? So one of the big areas to focus on is educating our business support organizations on capital access. Because we don't want to have this great program and product and we rely on our, our ecosystem partners, but we want our ecosystem partners to be well-educated and knowledgeable so that when someone comes to them, they can say, here are the options. Here's what a bank looks for, a CDFI or this initiative. This is what they're looking for. Let me help you get ready for it before I send you over to them. 
so that is that's the approach that we're taking as it relates to um, those individuals that wanted to apply for a loan but didn't because they fear they would be declined. Yeah, the the other interesting fact uh, that we found was that the institution that was primarily responsible for solving this problem was in fact the biggest problem. And so uh, let me kind of break it down. And Tarsha, I'd love for you after this to kind of add color to this. But uh, we found that CDFIs rejected people of color at a higher rate than even credit unions. And this was like a shock to us. Interestingly enough, it wasn't a shock to the CDFIs. They said, yep, we know this. We see this come through our desk every day. We really want to fund, but our hands are tied. We can't fund businesses in our own communities that we're passionate about. And so there was a dual problem. There was the problem of trust, but even the institutions that were there to fund people of color were not able to fund people of color because of archaic and rules that were pre prejudiced against the business owners in their communities. So things like uh, a credit score. Uh, and you know this is something that I'm really passionate about because we tell our business owners, when you go to start a business, nobody's standing there with a pot of money to give you that you have to find ways to fund your ideas, you know, mortgage your home or take out credit cards or work a second job. And business owners do that. And a lot of times that affects their credit score, even though they've got good businesses with good cash flow. So credit scores are held against business owners. Their debt to income ratio is held against business owners. In some cases, business owners just don't have good financial practices. They don't have the financial statements ready. Um, all of these were working against business owners and the institutions that were primarily set up to support them were the ones failing them the most. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about that because that's a good segue to get into talking about why we were able to use those very institutions to then come up with a way to actually solve this problem. Yeah. And shockingly enough, um, it, it was a shock to me, even though it wasn't a shock to the CDFIs, it was shock to me. Um, it was a shock to some of the business support organizations. And it was a shock to the financial institutions, the banks that fund these CDFIs. So some of you on the um, call might be with a CDFI or not, or not. But for those of you who don't understand how that works, the CDFI actually receive funding, whether it's through the government or um, banks through their uh, CRA, Community Reinvestment Act initiatives. So essentially you have a financial institution, let's say a Bank of America, Wells Fargo, a Chase, who, who part of their CRA initiative is to um, put um, invest in programs in underrepresented communities and provide loan investments to CDFI so that they can, the CDFI is taking the risk, risk of giving, issuing the loan versus the bank taking that risk of issuing the loan um, to someone who might be credit challenged or lack the collateral or enough collateral needed. But through our survey, now there are a total of nine CDFIs in the Dallas-Fort Worth area five of them are nonprofit. So we focused on the nonprofit lenders. And oddly enough, 53% of the um, applicants or the participants in our survey 
53% of them were turned down by a nonprofit lender. That was shocking to me and the financial institutions because it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> um, if, if you are given loan investment dollars to invest in these underserved communities, why are you still turning them down? And, you know, we love CDFIs, but it, it, they are in a rock, they're in between a rock and a hard place. It's because, yes, they want, they are mission driven and they want to put um, those dollars there, but they also have to look good to their investors, which are the banks, and not have high default, loan default rates. So they tend to... The applicants, if their number one uh, reason for being declined is insufficient credit score or insufficient, um, you know, collateral or down payment, then they the CDFI is not wanting to take the risk. Now we talked one on one with each one of our CDFI partners, and every last one of them was was on board with trying to come up with a solution because they want to do it. They want to put capital into the hands of these entrepreneurs, but was just, you know, in a rock in a hard place. I think I saw a hand. Are we taking questions now or? Yeah, we can totally, we can totally make this uh, a conversation and I have some questions, but let's see what uh, Amber. Uh, it was what an accident. <laughs> it was an accident. I am oh, so okay. <laughs> No problem. No problem. We'll we'll keep rolling then. Um, so you know we'll then seg segue to the next phase of this. Uh, so you know the CDFIs want to support and they want to help, right? They they see the problem. We're also seeing some very creative ways around the country that CDFIs are able to stand up these funds. Um, and then J.P. Morgan Chase has funded a through hundred million dollar fund, an entrepreneur of color fund in several markets. So we decided that Dallas should get its own Entrepreneur of Color Fund, right? So we started early inroads into um, a kind of a town hall where we shared our plans. We had over 100, I don't know, people in the room. The community was really bought in. I'd love for you to kind of share some of those, you know, early days of the design of the program because clearly that problem exists. People validated that they see the problem and they wanted to help come up with a solution. And if you could talk about our early design of what where we thought we should go, right? Because a lot of this is iterative. You're trying to figure out the path of least resistance to create an impact. Yeah, so, you know, I, I feel like I'm talking to family. So I'm gonna be very, you know, transparent and upfront because I feel like most of you on this call have probably, if you're on this call, you're an ecosystem builder. You know, you're a part of some type of entrepreneurial ecosystem. And when and while everyone was like on board and loved the idea and the recommendations to bring an entrepreneur of color fund to Dallas, as we started talking to our CDFI partners and other nonprofit lenders, you know, we, we did get a little bit of hesitation. Well, now our organization, we're not a, a lender. We're not a CDFI. We are an ecosystem convener, an ecosystem connector. You know, we lead ecosystem, entrepreneurial ecosystem initiatives. And so some of the hesitation we got was, well, are y'all trying to be a lender now? 
It was like, we're competing with our partners. And I started to sense that very, very early on and just started to have real honest conversations. And I said, you know, we all said it was myself. We formed this task force. Members of the task force started having conversations with some of our uh, nonprofit lenders in the area. And we asked, we just asked like, okay, well, what if we don't do an entrepreneur of color fund, what do we do? Because we can't do nothing. We can't keep doing the same thing, thinking we're gonna get the same results. We all know that's insanity. So what could we do to better support the entrepreneurs in this area, but also help get capital? And just about every one of them said, well, we want to get the capital, but unless we get some type of guarantee, unless we get some um, loan investment dollars for that specific area, and we can be more flexible with our underwriting, we can create programs, but until we have that, and when I say we, I'm talking about the CDFIs, until they have that, uh, it kind of out of their hands. So that's when David was like, have you heard of SSBCI? And I was like, no, tell me more. And so I'll let you talk more about the, so yeah. in other words, we we was going to not do this Entrepreneur of Color Fund. There's like six or seven um, around the country. These are loans, um, collaborative loan products. And we kind of just pivoted because we were like, we don't want to compete. We don't want to get into the same um, cycle. And if these collectively, if these um, five to nine CDFIs want to put funding in the area, but they have their own roadblocks, what could what barrier can we remove for the CDFI who already has the money, right? That means we don't have to go fundraising because they already got it for, for the loan. And so David introduces SSBCI into the equation, and that just took us all to a whole no nother level. Yeah, and I think the basis for that was that we found that there's no lack of capital nationwide. That's right. Right? There is no lack of capital. The CDFIs are not really looking, and even the Entrepreneur of Color Fund that J.P. Morgan Chase launched for $100 million, that created capacity at the CDFIs. So we asked ourselves, if capital is not the problem, where can we make the biggest impact with this program? And so we said, creating the infrastructure that creates trust in the network is, an, is a must. Helping BSOs uh, provide targeted support for getting financial readiness is, is another really important piece. And we looked at the uh, SSBCI, you know, now every state knows about it, but a year and a half ago, SSBCI was still relatively new. And so my thinking was, could we use SSBCI as a way to work on things like loan guarantees or loan loss reserves, the things that unlock the capital? The capital exists. How do you unlock this capital? How do you make our CDFIs and lenders be willing to take more risks? Um, how can we help our business owners be ready? How can we create programs that the BSOs can participate in. So, uh, and Tarsha, you should talk about, if you're open to it, 
your Washington DC uh, walk into a bar conversation <laughs> if you're open not for a it. Bar, not a bar, a restaurant. A restaurant. Sorry, restaurant. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. That so. was afterwards. That yes. was afterwards, way, yes. way afterwards, but. Yes, sorry, you walked into a restaurant, but we I wanted you to tell the story because a lot of times, you know, you need that little bit of luck. You need some of those serendipitous connections, right? You put it out there. You're like, I'm going to do this, but yeah. then you need the stars to align. And I think uh, that's a fantastic story that actually came to life. Like, you know, um, but yeah, right. So so basically there's two pieces where Tarsha, you're working really hard to figure it out. And then we've got SSBC that we're trying to match uh, and connect. Uh, and so I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit about what was the outcome with the Dallas Collaborative for Capital Access, what that new fund looks like. Uh, but yeah. maybe start with like the origin story, because I think that's forever going to live. Uh, <laughs> how you found how you found the, uh, a funder to actually take this on to create capacity at the BSOs, which was a critical component. Yes, yes. So... Um, as David said, uh, we, we're looking at SSBCI um, funding. Texas does not provide in their program um, anything, any funding for technical assistance. So, you know, which, you know, is disappointing, but you always figure out a way. When you're a mission-driven person and organization, you, you go through the back door, the side door, you might even go down the chimney. And so you just find a way, right? And you find a way to make it happen and to solve a problem. Um, thankful for, for me, I was just blessed to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, and so I am uh, on the board for the Association of Women's Business Centers. And every single year we go to DC to advocate for the 140 women's business centers across the country, uh, advocating to get more funding, more resources for women entrepreneurs. Uh, in March of 2023, we were fortunate enough to be invited to the White House by President Biden to hear his uh, commitment and initiatives uh, for women entrepreneurs. Well, this was going to be my first time going to the White House. I was very, very, I just had the jitters. I was so, I couldn't sleep. It was like a kid first day of school kind of jitters, you know, like, oh, this is my first day of school. I mean, I just could not sleep. All kinds of stuff was just going through my head. So uh, I was actually staying with a cousin that lives in Maryland. So I got up extra, extra early decided to catch the train into DC a little early just to kind of calm my nerves. Um, you know, so I decided to go eat breakfast at the Willard Hotel, which is in walking distance, a few steps from the White House. The wait the uh, host walks me upstairs and as I was, she was walking me to my seat, I heard a voice in the background. And I was like, I recognize that voice. I turned around. And there was um, um, T.D. Jakes. He is a well-known pastor here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but he's known internationally. And he is, he is all about entrepreneurship. So when I heard his voice, I immediately introduced myself and let him know I was from Dallas and told him about the initiatives that we were working on to bring capital. Now, mind you, his church, 
is located in the community in which our center is in and the community in which we are wanting to serve with this program. So if this is not <laughs> aligned and um, supposed to happen, I, you know, it's, it was just meant to be. So exchanged information and long story short, it did take a few months to get connected and, and um, you know, and have his people come out, sit with us, learn about what we're doing. And the um, beginning of this year, last month, we were blessed with a $250,000 grant, uh, not to fund the lending side, but on the programmatic side for technical assistance. So we're using that um, funding to form the Dallas Collaborative for Capital Access, which is basically an ecosystem of CDFIs, financial institutions, uh, business support organizations, philanthropists, entrepreneurs who really want to close the capital access gap in the southern sector of Dallas, as well as across the DFW area as it relates to women and minority founders. And so with that funding inside of our Entrepreneur Center, so we have a 20,000 square foot Entrepreneur Center in the largest minority populated um, area of the city. And so within that, you know, we, we're like, we're not going to wait for a bank to come to that area. We're not going to wait until some miracle happens, right? We're just going to make it happen. So we're standing up a capital access resource center in the underserved community. So we're going to bring the resources to the community versus having them going out trying to figure out where. We'll uh, use that funding to support the um, training. So as I mentioned before, part of this study helped us realize that our BSOs were uneducated about capital access. So we're going to use funding to create a training program. We're working with a national organization as well as some local partners to develop that training program for the BSOs so that they know how to pretty much pre-qualify an entrepreneur. Uh, we're working with David's team to come up with a um, digital navigation system so that the entrepreneurs can go to get pre-qualified. If they're not ready, they'll get forwarded to one of our um, ecosystem partners who have been trained on capital access. And they will teach you know, the entrepreneur, handhold them, build those relationships, form the trusted relationship, and help them get ready. Because they're going to already be trained on what the CDFI is looking for what the financial institution is looking for. So they're not even gonna start that process unless they are really, really sure this applicant could get funded. Um, we're gonna leverage the, the SSBCI funding that each of the CDFIs receive so that the loan can be guaranteed or they have loan loss reserve to, to help the CDFI get to yes quicker and reduce that number. Previously, I said in our survey, 53% of the, the, the uh, respondents were declined by a nonprofit lender. So we want to we want to 
we want to reduce that right number and we're hoping that the SSBCI funding um, the contributions from uh, TD Jakes Foundation as well as we did receive um, funding through Bank of America as well so we we're hoping all that funding will help us um, solve some problems in three different areas right it is the um, the CDFI removing some of the barriers for the CDFI so that they aren't taking on that full risk of bar um, issuing loans to the, the community, removing the barrier where the business support organization uh, didn't have enough knowledge, understanding or education around capital access to help an entrepreneur, and then the entrepreneur themselves, credit, insufficient credit score and insufficient um, um, collateral is, is, is always the challenge. So we wanna make sure that we address that with technical assistance as well. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna just re quickly recap our story to this point for those that might've joined late. I also wanna encourage if you have any questions that is specific to your community, please post it in the chat and we will answer uh, those questions. Uh, but Basically, uh, as a recap, for those of you that joined late, uh, we found there were two major problems. There was trust in the network. Uh, entrepreneurs felt disenfranchised. Uh, and two, the CDFIs and people that were the lenders were struggling to find uh, ways to fund business owners because of their own archaic practices. And through SSBCI, uh, which is a fantastic program, we actually support in various states uh, and uh, the money, and the, which is unique in, in Texas, because Texas actually did not get any technical assistance funding from the federal government. In other states, we actually have technical assistance funding in parallel to capital funding. So you can actually get more socially and economically disadvantaged enterprises or businesses and very small businesses to qualify for uh, capital. Uh, in Dallas County, through this initiative, the Dallas Collaborative for Capital Access, Tarsha and her, and her team have created this Entrepreneur of Color Credit Enhancement Fund, which is funded by, G by Bank of America, TDJX Foundation, et cetera, to do the things that Tarsha just mentioned, which is being able to help CDFIs get um, qualified, pre-qualified business owners where there should be very little objection. And the best part of it is that we've also vetted and brought in a pool of CDFIs that have raised their hand and said they want to help solve this problem. So that there is a group of CDFIs being able to access uh, SSBCI capital, but then work with Tarsha's team on getting the pre-qualified business owners, identifying BSOs that specifically have qualities or qualifications to support businesses that might have capital, legal, sorry, financial, um, legal or accounting gaps, which are the primary ways in which they are disqualified from getting capital, identifying them and standing them up, uh, and then helping the entrepreneurs understand what it is like to go through the journey, creating more transparency in the process, helping them navigate uh, the capital access network by having a digital platform that where they come in once and then they're guided through the process so they're not having to get bounced around and get tossed from one lender to a BSO, et cetera. Creating a seamless process for them uh, allows us to now actually serve more businesses. And like Tarsha said, then to go back and measure how many businesses have actually been funded that have raised their hand and said they want capital 
capture those stories and take back to the community so we can bring those disenfranchised business owners back into this network, right? That's the, the that story we want to tell because people are starting businesses in Southern Dallas as we speak. So it's not the problem about wanting businesses. It's about whether the business owners trust the process. Uh, and so through this uh, collaborative uh, with this new space, also a physical space that's opened up with Tarsha's team, I think it's just a fantastic solution. So Tarsha, did I miss anything in kind of the recap of kind of where we are today? No, you did it perfectly. Um, yeah, I, I do want to just let people know we haven't launched our program yet. So like I mentioned before, you know, we uh, phase one was really the research study, feasibility study, uh, focus groups and all that. And then once we pivoted, uh, and then honestly, we were built, we were building our our facility. So we took about a two month pause to finish that and then came back and and re um, focused back on it. But uh, we're in phase two, which is now waiting for the state of Texas to approve those CDFIs applications. And so while we're waiting for that approval, we are moving forward with the business support training. Um, and so our hope is um, once we start getting the business support organizations trained and start funneling the entrepreneurs through that training, we want to be able to see um, the success rate of more loans, right? So we will have tracking um, mechanisms put in place so that we can track um, some important KPIs like you know, because we want to see those numbers go down in terms of the number of declines. Yeah, and I'm putting in the chat also the link to the SSBCI program. Uh, every state got funded. So uh, whatever state you've logged in from, uh, that program exists. Uh, and you uh, most uh, all the states got the funding. The TAPs, not every state applied for. So uh, states are kind of being creative on how they ensure that they meet what we call the SETI, the Social and Economically Disadvantaged Individual, or the VSB, which is a very small business designations um, requirements as part of the, the program. But that's uh, something that we can help guide anybody that wants to know. But I put the link directly to the, the Treasury program um, as well. So uh, Tarsha, in terms of like talking about next steps here, uh, where do you see, you know, two, three years from now? And I know I'm you know, asking you to think big, like, you know, where do you see this program uh, going uh, in terms of, you know, uh, once we've kind of brought all of this online? Yeah. So right now it is definitely um, a place-based initiative where, you know, we have identified a certain region that is really suffering. And so, so we, but we do see once this model um, becomes successful and we have numbers to share, um, I, I know that our collaborative, we're, we're already thinking three, four, five years down the line of what will be the next community that we focus on. 
right? That we build those trusted uh, relationships. So I definitely see this expanding. Um, this is, there are other communities around the country that are doing similar things. I've had the opportunity to just talk to ecosystem builders across the country, and then they would connect me to this organization that's doing something similar or that organization. So I also see that the more and more, you know, great minds think alike. And so the more and more these types of programs and initiatives exist, I see more long-term that there's like a national ecosystem of capital access um, ecosystems that come together to really share what they've learned, some best practices so that there is a, um, a model to follow and be able to use. So, but for our program, we definitely see this expanding to other um, underrepresented or underserved areas within our Metroplex and possibly um, across the state. Yeah. And one thing that, you know, uh, Tarsha, you had talked about that digital platform, some of the best practices that we are implementing nationwide is this idea of the common intake app. I know Kansas City is also doing the common intake app. Yeah. And, you know, the idea is that we want to design processes with the small business owner in the center of it. How do we make sure that the small business owner is not constantly being referred from one BSO to another BSO to another lender? That breaks trust. So once they have been identified as somebody that needs capital, how can they be guided through the process, through a navigator or through a trusted a network provider that can take them to the right place, having a readiness checklist at the BSO level. So if, if you come to a BSO, the BSO knows what are the key factors that a lender is going to be looking for. So the application is not rejected because the BSO was not aware of the lending practices or so creating more training like you are doing in the BSO community and giving them things like checklists that are verified by the lenders and then creating a strong referral process with the lenders themselves being able to refer um, uh, businesses directly to the lender once they have completed the checklist. Um, there is one question here along those lines around as businesses are prepared through the support organizations, do you see, are you seeing success rates increase? And we're just launching, but that's kind of the idea, right? Yeah. So yeah, we're, we we're in the, uh, development stages. So we ha actually haven't put anyone through. So we, so ask me that question a year from now yeah. and, and we will have some uh, results for you, but ideally that that's the goal, right? We've established. And, and so the interesting thing about trying to solve this problem is, and the approach that we're taking is we're doing this as an ecosystem um, because I think that from, you know, when we looked at the 2019 study, um, and even David did some research and found other organizations doing this, very few of them took an ecosystem approach. Very few of them had the right people at the table. Um, because even in the 2019 study, it was only the entrepreneur and the CDFIs. And so well, what about the business support organizations? What about the banks? What about this? What about that? So it was so many perspectives uh, left out of the equation. And so, you know, the individuals and organizations that are part of the ecosystem 
and the ecosystem builders who are on the ground, who are out in the field, they know what their community needs. And so we are working to cut together to come up with what those KPIs are. And that's more important to our community and, and to our funders. So we uh, definitely um, hope to see <clears throat> um, as they funnel through our training program and those one-on-ones with the business support organizations that we see higher success rates. And, and not only, and there's going to be post-TA, right? So we, you know, we don't want to just throw them out there and give them this loan. We want to keep them engaged. And that's why we established the capital access resource area within our entrepreneur center. So now that they get this loan, they can come back to our center and still get the education, the one-on-one -on -one mentorship, the additional resources that they might need to help them through that process because this isn't a one and done type of solution. We wanna keep that entrepreneur, entrepreneur and continue to recycle that entrepreneur um, through our ecosystem and and get them in touch with all the resources that can support them. Yeah. And as we measure uh, this, you know, we'll have more lessons learned around uh, what our uh, declines rate continuing. And we'll also measure uh, and be able to tell the stories of these riskier loans. What is the impact to the community? Because our bet is that this is actually going to help drive uh, the same economic impact the others others were job creation, helping improve quality of life, helping drive dollars back into the community. And I think that's where we can start seeing change at a national scale. When people realize that the current ways of how they determine qualification is broken, that that there needs to be a new process in what we called alternate access to capital. I think that's when we can really start seeing what alternate access to capital can look like, and we can even continue to drive innovation um, uh, in the space. So, uh, Tarsha, can you give us just some timeline for where what's coming up next uh, as a way to kind of wrap up this discussion? Yes. So we are like literally in the midst of uh, just, we're just really waiting for those uh, CDFIs to get approved by the state. So as soon as that happens, we hope within weeks, um, then we are going to start standing up the digital navigation system. Uh, our hope is to have that completed by the end of this month with our CDFIs on board um, by the mid-March, have our BSOs, business support organizations trained and onboarded into the digital navigation platform. And uh, then our goal is in April, April is financial literacy month, is to kick off some type of convening to introduce the um, Dallas Collaborative for Capital Access to our ecosystem and to the general public uh, to get them um, engaged in the program and, and the resources. So um, I would say uh, by end of April, early May, we will be in full swing. Perfect. And if people want to learn about the program and follow along, Tarsha, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Yes, I would just say follow us on our uh, LinkedIn. I can put that in in the chat. We'll start posting some updates in there. Uh, but you can find us. It's the the, the DEC network on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to email me if you want to. Uh, you know, or you could go to our website as well and get on our email list uh, just to get, you know, follow along of what we're doing. But the best place is going to be LinkedIn because we're, we're want, we'll start posting those announcements and the different things that we're doing. Yeah. Well, what a great story. I mean, you know, a lot of this, Tarsha, I would say, you know, I've been while well, also helping, also observing a lot of it takes uh, a lot of grit and determination on part of a leader to actually work through hurdles, right? Just because you have an idea that can solve people's problem doesn't mean people want to collaborate or want to, right? Like a lot I of people- I have some stories right? to tell about that. We could talk about people... that offline, y'all. But... <laughs> yes, that's that's another lunch meeting in a restaurant. Um, yeah. but... No, that's the bar. That's, that's, that's the, the bar. bar. <laughs> yes, that's a bar conversation, right? Because that's the bar conversation. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of hurdles. Yes. But I, I, I love the grit and the perseverance and how I think we always agreed that this was the long game, that this is going to be a long haul. And then people start coming out to help you, right? Like the TDS yes. Foundation, Bank of America. And once you start building momentum, I know Wood Forest Bank or JP Morgan Chase or PNC, they're all in the sidelines waiting to see what happens. Yes, uh, they are. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, I was an entrepreneur for 20 years, had my own business. So every single thing that these entrepreneurs I'm helping, I've already been through. I've been declined. I've been afraid to get capital for my business. And so I've been in their shoes. So for me, this is purpose work. So it's easy for me. Yes, it's not that easy because we, we're we still humans and we have humans that we have to deal with. Um, yeah. And we have to constantly, uh, you know, help the people who are going to help the entrepreneurs. We have to build trust and relationships with them. So um, I'm just grateful that I have been given this project and this is, you know, something that I'm very passionate about. And, and I think if, if anyone is on this call and they're trying to solve a problem that they're passionate about, you're going to have the grit, you're going to have the determination. Yeah. Well, well said. Uh, and uh, entrepreneurs change the world. Entrepreneurs solve the big problems, uh, uh, just like uh, the case here. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Uh, I want to turn it over to Amber because this is this is actually part of a bigger week-long uh, program that Amber and her team have put together. We're sponsors, big fans, love the work that they're doing. And uh, so we were thrilled when we had the opportunity to actually make this part of that showcase. Uh, Amber, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, David and Tarsha. That was such an impactful and meaningful conversation. I think Everyone, including myself, uh, learned a lot from that and how we can support diverse founders. So appreciate that conversation so much. Um, 
as David mentioned, this is a part of National Entrepreneurship Week, which is happening now through Saturday. It runs Saturday to Saturday, the third week of February annually. Um, we have a jam-packed lineup of events happening throughout the week, uh, including over the next couple of days, federal agency office hours, where you can register and hop on. They'll talk about their resources, current grants, contracts, opportunities for entrepreneurs, and you have unprecedented access to ask them direct questions. Um, so I will drop the link to that. Those will be taking place tomorrow and Thursday. And then on Friday, we'll wrap things up with the U.S. Small Business Administration for SBA Day, where it'll kick off with a, a contracting and federal procurement conversation, followed by a series of client journeys from SBA-funded entities like SCORE and SBDC, and about how they've experienced and worked with um, those resources to start their business. So I will drop those links in the chat and thank again everyone for participating in this event and for Economic Impact Catalyst, all of your support and work. Um, you can always drop resources in your own events in our portal that is powered by Startup Space from EIC. Uh, it's a great resource to check out. So hopefully everyone will do that and we look forward to seeing you on future National Entrepreneurship Week events. Thank you all. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Tarsha. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Special thanks to our renowned guests for joining us. You can find show notes, more episodes, send us ideas, and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, Economic Impact Catalyst. Com. Breaking Down Barriers is a presentation of Economic Impact Catalyst and is edited by Lauren Bernard. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Breaking Down Barriers, available for free wherever you listen to your podcasts.